Today we are back with the rise of the Guardians Part 2, continuing our acknowledgement, our celebration of the genius talent that Jim Valentino brought to this incredible title. The Guardians of the Galaxy had been dormant for 15 years. Jim Valentino absolutely revived the patient, had it sit up, start walking, and then run towards giant sales. And today, I'm going to share with you where, where Jim really saw the future. Galactic Ghost Rider, the X-Men moving to a different planet, a female Wolverine. Jim Valentino didn't just see the future, he wrote the future literally, and we're going to talk all about it on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, and welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. What we do here on Observations is we celebrate the creation, the existence, and let's let's just say it, the exploitation for all of our enjoyment, uh, comic books and superheroes, and mostly superheroes from comic books. I have tried my very best to take you on a journey along with me through my eyes as a fan, seven years old, grabbing comic books off the spinner rack, all the way through my journey as a professional, where uh, if, if this is your first observations, I have given you the character Deadpool, created him, Cable, X-Force, created them, Domino, started Image Comics, uh, launched Image Comics' first book. Uh, my, my, my peers and I, uh, seven of us, gathered together. We, 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 we launched uh, founding member, first book ever published by Image Comics. Really uh, just an incredible career. Avengers, Captain America, uh, G.I. Joe. Just so many incredibly fun experiences that I would that, that the seven year old in me who was grabbing those comic books would have never ever imagined ever uh, the 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 seven year old the eight year old the nine year old the ten year old when I was in high school man I hoped I hoped very much that I could break in and do comics and I was starting to emulate comic pages storytelling se- sequential art and 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 get away from from the pinups and the isolated figure drawings because I was going to conventions at this point and I was looking at Xeroxes of other artists' pencils. I was I was meeting inkers. I was meeting the people behind the craft. And it just was like, wow, maybe I can do this. And similarly, in the pandemic of 2020, when we were all just a little loopy, uh, I decided to, in all my loopiness, start a podcast. I, I didn't really know how to do it. My son, Chase Liefeld, said, Dad, uh, I can help you. I can get you the mic. I can get you the equipment. I can set you up. I can give you the program. And he did. And we launched this. It'll be four years in in May that we launched this podcast. And thank you for all your listening and all of your attention. Hey, speaking of Chase Liefeld, I am I am so ridiculously proud of him. Uh, he he did season one of Wolfpack, which is on Paramount Plus. Uh, for for you to to watch right now. Great cast. Uh, Jeff Davis created it. The same guy that did Teen Wolf. Wolfpack is a fantastic uh, uh, first first season. Waiting on uh, the announcement for for season two to come up, and and uh, we are celebrating uh, that that Chase as an actor has broken through. He did a movie called Chank and Dunk last year. It's on Disney Channel. It won all sorts of awards, accolades, and he has a movie coming out January nineteenth with Lucy Hale 
called Which Brings Me to You. Uh, he is part of the kind of, I'll, I'll let you see the movie yourself. It is going to be so exciting to see my son on the big screen. So yes, I am tooting that horn. Uh, being in the arts is hard. Uh, when your kid tells you they want to be in your art, in the arts, your heart sinks. Like my parents' heart sinks because it is uh, not as reliable. Everybody wants, everybody who has a kid wants the very best. And what that means based on our fears is we want the most security for our kids. And uh, being in the arts, having been in the arts for uh, c- coming on 39 years now, uh, it's, it's dodgy. It's, you know, you got to self-generate. You got you to, gotta, you know, create your own opportunities, create your own work. So Chase, choosing to be an actor and at, at this very young age, in his very, very early 20s, he's 21 right now. And by the time he was 21, he had already done two movies, uh, a TV series, uh, a, a, a couple other jobs. Um, just really excited for him. Excited to see him. He's been he's been in both of the trailers for which brings me to you. And as a parent, just super excited to see Chase on the big screen. January nineteenth. It's in theaters. Okay, so uh, looks like a really great. I, I'm super impressed with just the trailer alone. Will give you like there's some incredible, incredibly stylish uh, ticks in, in in this thing, and some great performances. And again, uh, <laughs> this has not been a paid announcement for which brings me to you. Uh, the new Lucy Hale movie and chases in it. And I would ask you to give it a shot on January 19th. So Rob observations, we do more than promote my son. We talk comics and we started uh, last week talking about the influence of one incredible creator who I uh, call a, a dear friend and who I shared a studio with and who really roared back to life uh, a property that had been dead for Marvel for 15 years. Uh, the, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy could not, would not take flight. They did not have their own showcase. Uh, the audience wasn't there for it. I, I, I've said before, they bumped around in the pages of the Defenders. They bumped around in the pages of the Avengers. They, they were even crucial plot points in, in both of those books, but they did not launch into their own showcase until Jim Valentino isolated them as an opportunity for him to get his own book at Marvel, and he pitched it, and it went through. And the next thing you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is a top 20 book for Marvel. They, they, they are moving significant copies of this book. And the Guardians of the Galaxy is now part of Marvel's top sellers. I mean, there's the elite, the top stuff. But then, like, this is an A-list selling book. We, we, we covered uh, last podcast. I read, I read to you from, I believe it was March of 1990 guardians of the galaxy 11 not number one not a brand new shiny number one the 11th issue was outselling avengers captain america iron man and green lantern like jim really found a path a road he, he built it he built that road he took those characters that were dormant that were unsuccessful that were not uh given their own series had not had their own series ever they had a showcase in another spotlight book uh, in, in, in like 1975. And, and the reason I'm banging this drum isn't just because Jim's a friend of mine. Isn't just because I have tremendous respect for him. It's because Jim Valentino is a creator. And if that creator had not used his creative brilliance to say, I can take this toy at the bottom of, you know, the, the, the chest, the treasure chest, I can take them, I can polish them up and I can make this a hit. I can write and draw this and, and give this a path 
that, that, that leads to tremendous success for not just myself, Jim Valentino, but also Marvel, the publisher. Because th- it wasn't like Marvel had Guardians of the Galaxy and were calling people up saying, hey, you want to do Guardians of the Galaxy? Hey, do you want to do Guardians? No, no, no. Jim brought it to them. We covered that the editor-in-chief in the first part of this uh, podcast, the editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco, came to him. Uh, uh, Jim went to him with Guardians of the Galaxy and he said, hey, you know, I'd been thinking about them and I had some ideas of what we could do. But he, had, he did not bring Guardians of the Galaxy to Jim. Jim brought Guardians of the Galaxy to them. He was looking over characters, concepts in the Marvel catalog that he felt could, could use a, a, a facelift. It, he, he flipped it. It's like when you take that house and you, you, you give it the upgrades and you flip it and you put it back on the market. That is, exactly, that is exactly what Jim did with Guardians of the Galaxy. And if he doesn't do that with Guardians of the Galaxy, you don't get the second wave of Guardians of the Galaxy in the early 2000s which is where we find the James Gunn iteration. Now, James Gunn has, you know, uh, you know, sidebar here. It, 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 it needs to be mentioned that he did cover some of the original Guardians, especially in the sequel. Uh, but I, I was not a fan of the way that they were depicted and treated. I, I, they have always been uh, larger than he depicted them. And I understand how he didn't want to make those original Guardians. And I understand Stallone you know, was a big name to get a little cameo in there. But the original Guardians of the Galaxy are kick-ass. And, uh, and they're kick-ass because Jim poured all of this creative uh, brilliance. I keep using the word brilliance because, again, you guys, there wasn't a version of this team that had worked that had clicked. And this became a book with significant sales for Marvel Comics. And believe me, that makes a difference. You know, I bang the drum about creators so much because I believe we do not get, we as creators do not get the uh, attention that we deserve. Yes, should Jack Kirby have a statue in Disneyland alongside a statue of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko? He should. Absolutely. They're that important. The fact that we don't give Jack Kirby greater attention for all that he gave us, because without visuals, none of this matters. Without visuals, none of it matters. What's everybody pouncing on right now? In, in, in January of 2024, everyone's pouncing on the uh, Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse. That's a visual. That's going to be exploited visually. You saw video game uh, trailers that dropped the day of the actual you know uh, ability to exploit now that it's in the public domain. You saw trailers for a video game. You saw trailers for a horror movie when they did the horror version of Winnie the Pooh. What is, what is, what is it that they're pushing through to you? They're pushing through the visuals. And... Without the visuals of the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, without the visuals of the Avengers, Thor, Iron Man, without the visuals, the visuals of the X-Men, I mean, Jack Kirby is the single most important creator in the history of pop culture. I would put him ahead of, of George Lucas, uh, 100%, without fail, wouldn't even stop for a moment, but no one knows Jack Kirby as much as they know George Lucas, and that is a failure on our part. And I wish to God there were people who would realize that they need to honor uh, this man. You all know Stan because he lived. He lived and he got all those cameos. And and good for him. And no one wants to take any of that away from him. But the Marvel Universe was so much more than Stan Lee. And it was so much more uh, than, than, than just his Stan Lee Presents. It was the, guy that, the, the guys that, that, that did the grinding. And if you've ever listen to my show you shows you go back in my podcast and that is what first and foremost this podcast does it it gives you and celebrates the creators that have taken us on these incredible journeys that have created these incredible stories that uh create these outstanding memories 
that, that, that inspired us. I'm not into comics. I don't get into the comic book field without Jack Kirby. I bought everything Jack Kirby did from the minute I recognized Jack Kirby. He was doing Captain America when I was coming in to uh, the comic field, and he was ending his run on OMAC. They were they were shipping within the same year, same time frame. He was saying goodbye to, to DC with Commandy and OMAC, and he was saying hello at Marvel with uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Did, I, I did a great, great podcast. I'm so proud of that, that episode in and of itself. You guys should should check that out. But I paused here to really identify that we should be more celebrating creators more and the and, and creative uh, creative attributes and the contributions of people whose imaginations have given us uh, just these great times. And and speaking of great times, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Jim Valentino version, is a great time. Again, a a book that was doing significant uh, moves. For Marvel, he identified it. He won his showcase, Guardians of the Galaxy, shipped. It was successful. And I was so just thrilled that during this formative phase when he was pitching, doing his designs, writing his long notes, Jim would write uh, notes on a long yellow uh, legal pad, and then he would uh, type them into his uh, word processor. And when he started Guardians of the Galaxy, he was... uh, he had moved into a new office because, again, when we didn't um, continue in that office for where we, where we were together for about a year and a half, he found another uh, smaller office, and I moved closer to my house because, like I said, the, the commute had just become too much for me in, in, in terms of the time I needed to get all of the work that I had committed to done. The, the times that we did share together in that studio space, we did a tremendous amount of work. Like I said, I did both my Atlantis attacks annuals and we did the what if together he did a number of different what ifs i even wrote a story for jim a short story about a nightmare dr strange's nightmare and visiting wolverine in his dreams that that jim uh illustrated it was incredibly fun to 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 to, you know switch hats and and write a story for jim in the same way that he had written uh, for me and and so so we had a really good time and we were putting together pitches and and again he was on his way starting to do his guardians of the galaxy we split up because the commute uh and the time that we were spending together was just getting uh, I, I just needed every waking minute to start doing a monthly schedule i started new mutants 86 as i was leaving and separating jim was starting Guardians of the galaxy but we would meet together uh twice a week i would drive and go hang out with with, with jim at his studio he would come up and see mine uh, we would go out to lunch. We would talk on the phone for hours each and every day. Jim was one of, if not my very best friend uh, in the world, in the business during this time. And and I just, again, I- I am so appreciative that I was able to watch everything that he was putting together. The the, the funniest story that I have about the office before we, uh, we, we split up our studio was there was a table on Jim's side of the office, and when he wasn't there to change change up things, I would just pull up to that table. It was Jim kept it very clean. There wasn't anything to remove or, or take away. It was just a clean table. He had a table that looked out over the window, uh, out through the window that looked out into the street, which was Brookhurst. It was Brookhurst Street in Garden Grove, and this part of of Brookhurst is incredibly wide for a uh, you know just just I mean Brookhurst is a major thoroughfare like Beach Boulevard, which at some at certain points in the road they they go to four aisles each four four lanes four lanes each on each side and this point is right uh before 
it gets wider, but it's three wide lanes on both sides with a with a divider that runs through the middle of Brookhurst. And if you were sitting at Jim's table looking out the window, you saw across those three, you know, uh three lanes on each side, and there was a neighborhood of houses that were looking back at us. Well, one night Jim had left and I decided for a change of pace I would draw one of my pages sitting at that window. And it was probably nine o'clock at night. It was dark. It was in the spring. The sun had finally set and uh, I am drawing and just listening to the radio and, you know, working my way through a page when I am so startled that there is a knock on the window, like, like someone had approached the window and was looking right through me. And he said, Hey, someone is trying to steal your car. And I said, what? He goes, someone's trying to steal your car. And I run out of the office door, then unlock the main office door. Cause we were you would unlock the door to the primary office building and then we were immediately to the left. And so I went out two doors, met him, and he said, and I saw someone running away from my Toyota 4Runner. I was, this was my big uh, purchase after Hawk and Dove. I would later get a Jeep Wrangler with my New Mutants 100 royalties because <laughs> uh, I always wanted a Jeep Wrangler and that was the, 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 the perfect way to celebrate the achievement of New Mutants 100. But anyway, uh, this, I see somebody running into the night. They are running across the street, across those three lanes and across those next three lanes and they're gone. And the door of my Toyota four runner, uh, is, is, is open. There's not a lot of traffic at nine o'clock on Brookhurst <clears throat> in garden Grove. So I said, what's going on? He's like, we were, you know, having a barbecue out across the way. And he points to his house and I see people in his yard. I see you know, a grill. I see some lights there. There's a bench out in front of their house. We, we, we've seen it in the daylight a million times. They were having a little evening party. And they said they watched this guy smash my lower uh, corner glass window and, and get in the car. And here's the deal. This is the kicker. I, my, this is my wife's favorite story of all time. And it is where I go, maybe, maybe the, good, the good Lord was looking out for me. That day, when I got in my car, because I told you it's about a 33, 35 minute drive to the office from where I lived in Fullerton, Anaheim, Fullerton, Anaheim. It's kind of bordered both, uh, about a 35 minute drive. And that day when I got in, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty low on gas. And, uh, and so, so I figured I'd fill it up on my way, you know, on my way home. And uh, so when I arrived, at our studio that day, my car was completely out of gas because what happened, and they told me that the guy got in the car and started it and it lurched forward, then kind of lurched and then putted, and then it lurched and then putted again. And that's when they were running across to see me. And I said, oh my gosh, it's because my car is out of gas that he couldn't get away with my, from my car. So here, <laughs> so, so one of my strongest memories of sharing that studio with Jim is someone attempting to steal my car. I had, I had to get the window replaced that weekend. No biggie, but uh, you know, uh, note to self, don't fill the car with gas and, and, and the crook won't be able to make a getaway. And that as was the case with me. And, and I thanked the guy profusely. He ran back to his, uh, the yard and hung out. And uh, it, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> I won't tell you who said, I think that guy probably's was in on it and and he came to get you it, it was pretty 
conspiracy theories mounted afterwards. I, I believe the story was as the story was told to me. I think they saw something happening, ran across. I was so startled to this day telling you the story. I'm startled. But we had so many great adventures, like I said, so many long walks to the market, so many times on the roof. But now it's time to get down to business. I'm doing New Mutants Monthly. Jim's doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Our kind of uh, 18-month incubation sharing a studio is over. And, and 18 months is a long time and a fruitful time when you are two guys jamming together. Think, think about it as, as, uh, as a band going into an into a 18-month session and all the recordings they got out of it, okay? And all the tracks they laid down because that's how Jim and I viewed that time together. But the one thing Jim told me when he was going to get the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, book, he said, I am going to ask every single artist I know to ink a cover over me. And of course he goes, and you're, you're, you'll, you'll ink a cover. I said, sure, whatever one you want, no problem. Jim had been around, again, since Normal Man, since Myth Adventures, and now has turned into this you know, super successful superhero uh, writer and artist. And he called on all his, all his contacts and made some new ones. He got George Perez. He got Jim Starlin. He got Todd McFarlane. He got Jim Lee. He got Scott Williams. He got Steve Lytle. He got Mark Teixeira. I mean, what name didn't Jim successfully convince to do, uh, to ink his covers? And they were a, a, an incredible marketing uh, tool because every month you are to bear. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's like you sit there and you go, uh, I, I cannot believe in any way that Jim was able to just kind of generate that because he was thinking, I got to market this book. Now that I got this gig, I got to sell this book. I got to push this forward. And, you know, he was off to the races. Todd said yes. Jim said yes. Tashiera said yes. Scott Williams said yes. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Mike Zek uh, inked ink to cover. I mean, there was nobody that Jim wasn't asking. Jim Starlin. And it became kind of the selling point. Jim, in all these interviews, would use it to promote. And, and if you look at each and every cover, it's a great showcase and a great marketing tool. Who was going to ink Jim next? What guest star was going to ink Jim next on a cover? And I mean, these aren't just, you know, uh, minor guest stars. These are major stars of the day. Eric Larson, you know, inked a cover. Jim, just, just what fantastic marketing in getting all of these giant superstars of the day to come on and put their name on the cover. So it says Jim Valentino, Jim Lee, Jim Valentino, Todd McFarlane, Jim Valentino, George Price, Jim Valentino, you know, Jim Starlin, Jim Valentino, Mark Teixeira. I mean, oh my gosh. I just, to this day, I was so in awe. When I was closing up one of my, uh, the last chapter of Snake Eyes, and I went to a different person to ink each, each page, that, that, that was my inspiration. Like, hey, Jim did this. Jim got all these names to jam with him and created something greater than its than the sum of its parts by putting a superstar inker on each of his covers, you know, each and every time out. But let me tell you something. Guardians of the Galaxy went so much further than the art, and I've told you that flipping through like his 25 issues, seeing all of the great layouts and page designs, I, there are certain pages I just want to redraw because they're so... Uh, impactful and, and, and the gestures and the dynamics and the layouts are so fantastic that they're, they're, trust me, a little sidebar. There's an entire issue of X-Men 
that Dave Cockrum did that I would love to redraw one day. It's it's my favorite Dave Cockrum Wolverine issue. It's with the brood. He gets he gets infected with the brood. It's like just randomly there are issues. I just want to redraw. There's there's a there's an X Men themed issue that Jim did, uh, issue nine of Guardians of the Galaxy that I want to redraw. But uh, beyond the incredible artwork, because people were digging it, the book was selling. Jim, Jim and I were doing uh, joint signings in Southern California, and we went and we saw the crowds. And so many of you since part one, since I put part one of this up, have told me that Guardians of the Galaxy was up there with you with your X-Men titles. You, it, it was one of your top reads when you grabbed it. And I think, look, I think this all took Marvel by surprise. Not the Jim Valentino part of it, the Guardians of the Galaxy part of it. You, you, had, a, you had these characters in the drawer, and for 15 years, you couldn't do anything with them. And then this guy who really hasn't done any mainstream work comes by and says, I can do this with them. And you give him a flyer, you give him a chance, and suddenly you've got a top-selling book, a top 20 Marvel book, outselling Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America, and over at DC, Green Lantern, and everything else. Jim charted in the 20s combined with uh, with DC in the numbering. So, but, but, but Marvel alone, he was achieving this incredible success. And, and I think it just took everybody by surprise. And Jim's concept of, of letting them be the guide for you through the 31st century of Marvel Comics, this version of Marvel Comics turned out to be the winning ticket, okay? This was an incredibly, uh, you know, successful formula. And and here's the deal. This is where I'm going to lay down to you that Jim gave Marvel Comics the blueprint for the next two decades in this book. And you tell me if I'm wrong. You go ahead as I lay this down to you and you tell me whether I'm wrong. So, so, so roll with me here as I lay this out for you in, in, in giving, uh, the, the, the Marvel universe in the 31st century, which is down all, across the banner and, and the guardians of the galaxy are traversing and they're meeting brand new characters, brand new nemesis. Like they did in, uh, uh a group of villains called force they, that, that they battle in their second, uh, arc in, in the first arc, of course, where they battled the Stark and, uh, and, 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 and just that incredibly, uh, just. I, I think visionary story about Tony Stark putting his armor, uh, you know, in a rocket to, to save it from falling into the, the the Martians hands and it going awry and landing with this primitive, you know, race that, that b- becomes more advanced because of all the technology and the, and the, and the uh, equipment and the armor that they uh, uncover from this rocket. Just genius stuff. But then Jim starts cooking and he takes you to a planet that the mutants have moved to. Yes, all of the mutants moved off Earth to a planet. They called their city, their existence, Haven. And they were exiled after this giant battle with the mutants on Earth. And it took them, you know, he says a generation in, 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 in starships to find this planet. And the Guardians are introduced on this planet, this, this, where the mutants now live. Now, I've, I've told you that in the recent kind of House of X, Powers of X existence, uh, I, I, I've told you guys how, how like, I, when I was like, wait, okay, so they're, they're isolating themselves, they're going to Krakoa, and now they're, they're terraforming a planet. Well, people, Jim got there first. It's a three-part arc. It was one of the, one of the best-selling arcs he had. And he introduced you to a daughter of Wolverine. He introduced you to a female um, offspring, a, 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 an heir, a, a, the, the actual daughter to Wolverine because Wolverine, because of his longevity and his life 
extension and the fact that he's near immortal because of his healing uh, ability it 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 keeps it, it allows him to look much younger than he actually is and especially this was something that was really being exploited during this time and Jim decided of course he had to get clearance from the Exxon office but they allowed him to do this storyline where Wolverine is the leader of the and 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 eventually the surviving leader he outlives lives all the other X-Men that 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 lead the mutants off planet to to eventually the city called Haven and uh he has a daughter and her name is Rancor I love the name Rancor cool design great title but kind of got there about a decade before before X23 and almost 30 years before House of X decided that maybe the X-Men should go live on a planet so yes, I, I kid you not. The 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 female offspring of Wolverine was originally called Rancor, featured in Guardians of the Galaxy, taking place in the future. Uh, but but way way before X twenty three, way before Wolverine got a daughter in the existing Marvel continuity, and the the world was called Haven, not just the city. I I, I made uh, I, I aired in in saying that I, I have it right here. I grabbed it. I just wanted to double check it. Uh, they made a stop first on a planet called Europa fueled up and then kept going deep into the stars and they came to this planet so this planet has mutants exactly what was uh the plan what where, where everything was headed in in the recently which they're closing the doors on kind of house of x era but again you look at that and you go jim got there first in in, in so many different ways and and then i don't i don't i don't uh maybe it was four or five years ago do we remember galactic ghost rider recently taken over Marvel and Donnie Cates did a story with it. And I was like encountering people at the, at the comic book store and they're like, Oh my gosh, this idea of ghost rider in space is great. And I'm like, yeah, it was really great when Jim Valentino introduced <laughs> galactic, uh, ghost rider in, in, in the pages of guardians of the galaxy in issues 12 and 13. I mean, he is prominently featured on the cover here. And you guys, I'm telling you this because I am celebrating my buddy and his genius. 13 and 14. There is, there is Ghost Rider on a space cycle. Ghost Rider in space. And then the second, uh, he, he is prominently featured on both covers. And this galactic Ghost Rider, this Ghost Rider in space, is the subject of two dedicated issues of Guardians of the Galaxy issues 13 and 14 and issue 14's cover is really nice it is it is a takeoff of uh of i think it is is it 135 x-men 135 where phoenix which i know is also a takeoff of an, an a neil adams x-men cover with uh where, where you know it's going to fail me but it, it, it's it's influenced by by neil adams and uh john Byrne then did it on 135 and then jim did it on Guardians of the Galaxy 14, totally destroyed at the Guardians of the Galaxy, totally destroyed at the hands of the Spirit of Vengeance. Future Ghost Rider Jim got there first. Uh, he was so forward thinking and laid so much successful railway that I'm watching this stuff come back in comic books, and people are thinking this is the first time these ideas have been presented and, and i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna hit this note once again these are not books that we're not doing very well these are not in the, these are not insignificant sellers these are significant 
books for Marvel in the 90s. Because what do you think gave Jim Valentino the platform to launch Image with so much fanfare and, you know, so much popularity? This is the book that made Jim Valentino a household name and a popular creator that you all were digging. And, and so the idea that these weren't um, obscure comics, these were major comics. So, so the X-Men on a planet, a female Wolverine, a galactic ghostwriter, Jim did all that. He did it first. Uh, fans loved it. It, it. it was part of what was fueling uh, his run. And all, I am, all I'm sharing this with you uh, for is to tell you that like, this should be celebrated. It's no other reason. There's no other reason just but to tell you that let's celebrate this great talent and, and, and what incredible vision he had for getting to stuff that later people would think, hey, that's not, that's not the worst place to arrive at. We mutually, uh, I had always told him that I wanted, because Wolverine was uh, basically a secret agent for the Canadian government, when we were having lunch one day, we disc- I, I told him I'd always wanted to see, like, what if more adventures of, of Wolverine as an agent, and what if he worked with Nick Fury as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And Jim said, let's do it. I had no story. I just had the concept. Jim immediately started percolating, walks out later that afternoon. What do you think of this? We start riffing. We start jamming. And we give you, what if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., a book that, that so many of you over my entire career, or let's say since I've done it, done it like 34 years ago, you have told me that is one of your favorite jobs that I've ever done, that he's ever done. And we are so honored. And we, we, we thought when we put it out that, that this is a really, this really came together in the best possible way. And Mark Miller agreed because when he took over Wolverine in like 2004, 2005, he did a storyline. Wolverine aged up shield. And I'm like, this looks familiar to me. We've done this. Again, I have an entire episode. Did it, I think it's called Marvel's Secret Playbook, and it, it talks about how the what ifs of the '70s really all eventually came true in the Marvel universe as stuff that they were do, that they, that they did in canon. Like, what if uh, Jane Foster wielded the hammer of Thor? That's the most obvious, the most you know, um, you know, kind of the, mo- the most prominent one. But th- th- there's so so many of them. And, and, and this, these examples are in keeping with that. There is so much playbook and there is so much, I mean, look again, I, I, somebody showed somebody on Twitter showed that they had got my Captain America heroes reborn. I was pleasantly surprised that they were sharing this. Then another, uh, person on Twitter slash X said, oh yeah, the place where all the ideas for winter soldier were born. And you guys, that's not wrong. They're the same. I did with Steve Rogers a secret agent for the government that they shut down, awakened, shut down, awakened. That was the, uh, and, and had him and wiped him clean uh, of his memories so that he wouldn't remember the previous station and mission. And suddenly I'm reading this in the 2000s, but now it's happening to Bucky. And the fans are smart enough to know when they see that stuff first. And if they're alive to reference it and go, oh, this happened here. This is a concept that I just saw through here that is now happening like in a comic book I'm reading now. And I'm just telling you, Jim Valentino deserves his flowers, deserves his accolades. Not only was Guardians of the Galaxy just a kick-ass, incredible uh, comic book experience, but it really uh, put forth concepts and ideas that would come to greater prominence later on in Marvel publishing. I'm going to tell you the one really fun part that I was able to participate 
with Jim on the Guardians, and it was towards the end, so it was a nice kind of cherry on top. Marvel was really doing uh, really great business with direct to direct market posters, direct to stores, not mass market, not for like at the time you you would there there was still a Kmart, uh, Target, not for their poster sections, just for your comic store. Todd did two of them, and Todd told me like how financially successful they were. Like you get X amount of money for a poster, and uh, he kept saying, "Why aren't you doing a poster?" I'm like, "I don't have any time. I just do not have the time." to do a poster. I've got the, got to get these books out. Remember again, you know, get out the world's smallest violin and play it for me. New Mutants 100 and X-Force 100 were, were double-sized issues. So I ended New Mutants with two issues worth of work and I started X-Force with two issues worth of work. So I was just buried with commitments at the time. And Jim, they didn't give you a, Marvel didn't give you a poster unless they felt that it would sell well, that it would do well in the direct market. This is a testament to how great, uh, Guardians was doing. They came to Jim and they said, Hey, we want to do a poster of Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, Jim told me how excited he was. And at this point, now I have opened Extreme Studios. I am, I am, uh, we are starting up Image Comics. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but, uh, we, I, I, I am inking this in the first iteration of Extreme Studios where the early, you know, Marat, Marat Michaels, who was my assistant, who became kind of the first, non-founding member penciler and kind of rookie talent of the entire image publishing marat michaels was in that studio dan frega who 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 we hired uh shortly after dan marat convinced me like give this guy a shot richard ori who was doing backgrounds for us at the time this is where we opened our little uh it was next to cal state fullerton and it was a incredibly great office and jim was coming by and hanging out all the time he was wrapping up guardian starting shadowhawk he brings the poster one day. It's beautiful. It's gigantic. He went to the art store and bought a giant, uh, like 24 by 12 or 24 by 14 piece of Bristol board. So it wasn't taped together. It wasn't two eleven by 17 images. It's just a giant piece of Bristol board. And he had drawn this great image of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He said, Rob, would you ink this for me? Jim and I love jamming together. I was so honored that he enjoyed my inks over his work. Again, I, I inked the cover to Shadowhawk number one, which just shows you where we would continue beyond. Uh, I also, uh, you know, I, I, I just always loved jamming with Jim. His stuff was so fun to draw. I mean, so fun to ink because it's all right there. All, all you have to do is just have fun with it. And, and, and I never didn't not have so much fun inking Jim's stuff. So he brings this poster and I'm like, yeah, I'll ink it. And man, I remember late nights at the studio I had to keep turning the poster because um, I couldn't reach up high or, or certain parts of the, so you turn it. I, I turn stuff today when I ink it. I, I ink some, some stuff, some lines you start upside down to get the right curve, to get the right motion. Um, I kept turning this bad boy around and around and I, and I had some really great brand new uh, nibs that I was using, that I was experimenting that, that would give me a larger line. It ultimately, I believe, was colored by Paul Mounts, and I could not believe how great it looked. Uh, again, Jim's design, gestures, composition, and drawing was first and foremost the reason that that image is so great. I was so honored to be able to put kind of a slick line art on top of it to, 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 to give it a really nice polish. And then the colors are beautiful. And I was just so thrilled to be a part of really kind of the end of the journey because at that point, Jim is heading into like, Guardians 25 and wrapping up his run 
And I was so glad that, like, having watched Jim launch Guardians of the Galaxy to all the success, all this fanfare, getting all these great artists to ink his covers, getting all these great ideas out there, you know, building up his career, becoming a superstar creator. And I was able to do this poster with him at the, at the end of the journey, having watched and been there for the beginning of the journey with the pitch at the Oakland A's, you know, baseball game with Tom DeFalco, just the cherry on top as far as I'm concerned. It, it, and again, it is, it is why Jim became such a prominent voice in the 90s. It's because Marvel took this shot with him on Guardians. And, and just a minute ago, I had mentioned I was getting ahead of myself because I wanted to, uh, way before I got that poster, way before Jim's doing Guardians 25, obviously Image Comics has, has been announced. And as I'm doing this with you guys, you know, it's now 32 years of Image Comics. You know, uh, this, 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 you know, 2024 is 32 years. And that started, again, I've done, I've done two, I think, dedicated, you know, I- Image Comics, the, the origin of Image Comics uh, podcast. You should listen to those. Those have locked down uh, irrefutable facts in them. There are people out there, who, I, I don't know if they're misremembering people. Uh, Okay, so when I say people, the first three people were myself, Eric Larson, and Jim Valentino. We had lunch with Dave Olbrich, who was the publisher of Malibu Comics, about him distributing our efforts in the summer of 1991. Jim had obviously been now successful on on Guardians. X-Force is making some noise. And we had been dancing with him since 1990. And now we're getting closer we're meeting with him in 1991, so this is an ongoing year-long discussion that we've had, but we, we're all, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, and I, and Dave Olbrich are all at a barbecue joint uh, in, 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 uh, in the Gaslamp District, and we're talking to Dave, and we are talking about uh, doing our own creations, Malibu distribu- distributing them, the, 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 you know, taking, hopefully, to, hoping to take some of the profile from our Marvel work and trans- transfer it to some independent comics. We were all in board, lockstep. We had all come from independent comics, Megaton. Uh, Eric Larson had done a ton of stuff for Eclipse, AmeriComics. Uh, obviously, Jim with his Normal Man, his Myth Adventures. We had all come from that, and we we wanted to go back to a place where we just it was just another. It, it wasn't better than Marvel. That's not how it was seen. It was just other. It was something else, and 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 another playground maybe that we had more creativity in. And like, let's say if you wanted to do more excessive violence or nudity or mature material, it was something that you could do that. So those discussions were being had the entire time that we had discussed it with Todd. Todd was retired from Spider-Man. He had taken a year off. And during that time, and I've, I've detailed in that image comics, and I even pulled it out the, last night. It was in my drawer of, of, of some art that I was rifling through. He, his, his uh, front row card set he wanted to get into the sports business he wanted to do hockey cards he had done caricatures of uh mario lemieux and and wayne gretzky and all the other um i think brett hall all the other big uh 90s uh hockey people and he had uh bought the the photos from the photographers i remember todd you know saying oh i, I, I can't believe what they, these photogs these photographers what would they charge for, for getting these pics and uh, and how he was selecting which picks he was going to go get to go with his caricatures, and ultimately the National Hockey League, you know, turned him down. If they don't, Todd's in the card business; and he's not doing comics anymore. Period. So we had to wait out whether, and and he kept us appraised of of how that was going with Front Row, 
And like I said, the, sh- the, the sheet, he did a sheet of those cards and gave them to some of his, of, of his close friends. I, I'm so happy that I have, I have a pair of them. And uh, that entire time, we're planning on doing our Image Comics. And, 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 and I announce my Image Comics, The Executioners, in, in January of, I think it's, yeah, maybe January of 91. Um, no, no, I'm sorry, sorry, excuse me, January of 92. It was January of 92. So it, it, was, uh, it was a crazy time, but Todd was basically the fourth guy to come around and go, okay, I'll, I'll throw in with you guys. Um, but again, he, he wanted Marvel to, he wanted DC to, to turn down Batman as well, because, and I, I get it, Batman would have been the perfect follow-up for Spider-Man, but Jim was there with us, and it was because of the strength of the Guardians of the Galaxy work that he could uh, kind of carry the weight that he did. We all were carrying Spider-Man weight, X-Force weight, Guardians of the Galaxy weight is what we were offering a distributor to back us on a label. And of course that got stronger with Todd joining in. Of course it got stronger with Mark and then eventually Jim. Of course, as, as we built it, it got stronger. But Jim has reflected this. Eric has reflected this. The, three, the first three of the first four all give you the same story. And I'm just so proud of Jim because at one point there were some guys who were like, well, you know, there was some debate as, as to who should be allowed. And I was like, what are we talking about here? Are, are, we, are, we have invitations to so many artists and they're all turning us down right and left. Tex turned us down. The Kuberts turned us down. Originally, Keon turned us down. So many people turned us down. Imagine Image Comics would have been bigger at the launch, but Todd wanted to ask so many more people. But, you know, there was going to be no culling of the original crew. And Jim stayed strong. And Jim, we had such a good time. And, and what is, I think, a little known thing, but you see his name in the extreme books. In, in 1995, Jim was shutting down Shadowline as a ongoing business his offices his operation and i gave him a staff job at extreme eric eric stevenson was there matt hawkins was there the guys were there everyone welcomed him in he was in like a creative consultant i actually paid him a salary so he was that wasn't in place of him being a founder he had his own membership and privileges but i took him on on staff at extreme and obviously was looking to 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 get some of that former juice. We, we kind of sealed that deal in, uh, in San Diego going out to lunch. That was great to welcome Jim in and give him that salary and have his creative expertise uh, flowing with everybody. He would come in, he would make, he would, he would make creative suggestions, uh, get, get, give different, um, you know, his input on different titles. It was great. And then Heroes Reborn happened. And then uh, I took my books out of image and, Todd sent me the threatening letter and all of this ugliness happened. And that created a lot of uncomfortability because it um, was seen to have threatened the stability of Image Comics. I, I, I covered with you guys in, that, uh, in those Image Comics podcasts that I was producing 22, 23 books a month for Image Comics. And, and, and that was giving basically 40% of the operating budget to the office was coming from Extreme Books because I paid a fee on each book. Now, Todd was doing two books. Eric was maybe doing two or three. Jim Lee and I were the biggest suppliers, which meant we paid for the overhead the most because of the fees that came off the books. So by me taking my books out, it threatened 
kind of stability. And that's what I was told again and again and again. And as you know, the divorce was going, was happening. And, and, and I hired an attorney who was a classmate that they both went to law school, school together of the image comics attorney that I had hired because the guy that served image comics was a guy early on that I had hired and to, to serve the, the image greater good. He didn't work for me personally. He worked for image, but I wanted a guy who knew him really good and would counter him. And so I went in and, and hired a guy from a firm in the same building in Irvine, California. You know, there's some gamesmen. There, there's there's definitely some gamesmanship afoot at this point. Just stay with us because 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 I'm going to land this plane in a way that you don't expect by even opening up the store and telling you this. But I have to go back and, and tell you this uncomfortability. This lawyer that is going to represent me extreme as I am, am looking to leave Image Comics goes to meet with the attorney and the partners at the time. And Todd McFarlane, he said, "Wow, that Todd guy is." like livid he's he's nuts and uh that that people in hollow everyone who meets him for the first time kind of has a they, they, they get a shock and todd yelled out we aren't letting rob leave there is no way we're letting him leave unscathed and that's when my attorney said you know you're you should prepare for some ugliness and the ugliness did you know unfurl they held uh, they held my funds informed me that they weren't going to pay me out on books that were you know so, so that were, were were already released and and the money that goes to image that then would be dispersed to me as it had been for the past five years was now being i was told it was frozen so we went on this legal journey and 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 i i've shared in those if you want to know how it ends and it ends with a big surprise with a big twist you should listen to those image tapes but kind of the weekend before everything got super ugly I, we had a guest bedroom uh, in, in our house, Joy and I. It was just the two of us. And I went into the guest bedroom, which overlooked the pool. It was beautiful, sunny Saturday afternoon, probably August. And I called Jim. And he said, Rob, I, I, I'm not going to be able to help. I said, Jim, I'm not calling you, asking you for your help. Um, I said, Jim, I, I feel like it's going to be a while till there's civility again, until we talk again. And I just wanted to tell you how much fun I had with you. And he's like, yeah, I just, I just wish it hadn't gone to this place. And that's where he said, you should go and get on a plane and fly to Arizona and go to Todd's house. And, and I said, that's not happening. <laughs> I was like, that, that's not happening. I've already, I've read you guys, the letter where Todd says, if you don't bring your books back to, ex- to, to Image Comics, because I had moved my books out in, in, in the spring, which is why you were reading about it in the late summer that they were now all going to Maximum Press, Profit, Young But Old's books. And uh, so again, you know, the reason the trade said Liefeld leaves Image, we were able to prove I was always leaving, but then they wanted, you know, they wanted to make it, oh, he's getting kicked out. No, I was leaving and it made them mad. And they wanted me to stay. And, and part of it was the financial stability that I supplied the company, given the amount of work that we were doing. Guys, I can show you that chart during this period. The Extreme Studios titles were the second best-selling family of comics in the comic book business after the X-Men, above Batman and Spider-Man. Don't take my word for it. Look at the charts. I'll share the charts. I've shared the charts repeatedly, so this shouldn't be news to anybody. 
But the reason I'm telling you this is I knew that Jim and I wouldn't be talking for a while. There was too much animosity. There was too much uh, bitterness. And I couldn't have, I couldn't work with him on the Avengers given that they were, you know, holding my funds. And there, there was, there was absolute animosity. And that was the only time that Jim and I, uh, our, our relationship went cold for a period and then melted away because reality kind of hit us both. Our relationships were bigger than business and, and money and any of that stupid crap. And, uh, when Jim came on staff at extreme, like I said, it was, it was fun. It was fun seeing him every day. Uh, it brought back those memories of that studio and the great adventures that we had. And more importantly, the incredible work that he generated and created with his guardians of the galaxy stuff. Cause that stuff is special. And, 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 uh, I encourage you, there's an omnibus, there's trade paperbacks, there's back issues. However, you can access that stuff. I think you'll have a great time. Some of you have never heard of it before. So many of you, I, this may be the first time so many people between episodes one and two have contacted me and told me that they are so thrilled to be, that, that, that these comics are being given the spotlight. And again, these are not books that weren't doing well. I want, I'm saying to keep hammering that and hammering that. These were chart-topping books for Marvel, top-selling books for Marvel in the, basically, let's say there's third quadrants. Top sellers, mid sellers, low sellers. Jim was a top seller. And so many great ideas and art and pages and storytelling came from this. And I'm so proud of him. And and I hope that he is feeling better as I am recording this. Because again, I told you in the um in the first uh the fr- the first part of this that that it this all started with Jim posting on on Facebook that he had pneumonia and I freaked out. And uh and so I just it was it was time. It was time. There's a Shadowhawk episode to come uh jim was a powerhouse he was a powerhouse because of guardians of the galaxy uh a dormant uh basically a a a a group of characters that had been ignored i i somebody kind of told me well i like the abnet landing guardians great that that's fantastic uh no one's telling you you shouldn't like it love it adore it favor it but what i said is That doesn't happen without Jim. Jim revived the patient. The patient was basically dead and in a slab. There was no Guardians of the Galaxy. So I would say that Jim successfully revived the patient, stood it up. uh, It breathed. It learned to run. It it, it soared. and, And it is all because of the creative genius that Jim Valentino brought to each and every page and why this run is so special. And And to wrap up the show today... I, I just need to express, I just, I just absolutely need to tell Jim Valentino how much I absolutely love him. Uh, he was just a defining influence, a significant, if not the most significant influence on my growth early in my career. Uh, what a mentor. Everybody should have a teacher as, as good as Jim. And, uh, and I did, and I'm so thankful. And Jim, I, again, I love you. My family loves you. Joy is the one that ran and said, Jim has pneumonia, uh, and alerted me because, because she knows how fond, how truly fond I am of you. And so today I'm I'm not going to do any promotions. Uh, we're just going to close, close this episode up 
uh, and, 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 and put a nice bow on it. And I, I thank you for listening to this two episode celebration of Jim and we love you, Jim. And, uh, we certainly do hope that you get better and you get out, uh, you get healthier and, and, uh, and, and that we get more of you in 2024. And, uh, I hope to talk again to you soon. And this episode is just a, a small piece of, of what I could offer in, in tribute to the great work that you've done. All right. Uh, thank you everybody for listening and, uh, really appreciate you. And I, and I hope you're well, take care. 